Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. Hello, White Sox fans. It is Friday night. It's Tony Marchese. It's NWI Steve. And the Charlotte Knights have defeated the Detroit Tigers by a final score of 8-2. to two. Steve, how do we feel about Charlotte's performance tonight? Hey, O-Tone. We are feeling real good because anytime Detroit loses, the rest of the world wins. That's a great way to start this off. And Can we get a little Detroit sucks here for just a second? I mean, listen, Detroit does suck. Everybody Detroit, knows it. It's, it's a scientific fact. Suck. It is a scientific fact. Steve, it's great to be back on the postgame show. I know that we did not do this for about two nights in a row now. We're back with another postgame show. Before we get into the White Sox, and I know I said the Charlotte Knights. It feels like the Charlotte Knights beat the Detroit Tigers tonight. But before we get into that, uh, be sure you're going to Grandstand for all of your Sox merchandise. and be, f- be sure that you're checking out ONTAP Sportsnet for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Steve, one thing I want to talk about, because we didn't get a chance to break it down, was the White Sox had a nice sweep of the Minnesota <laughs> Twins. And uh, even if we give this just a minute, that was a series that the White Sox needed. So let's talk about it for just a minute and we'll break down tonight's game as we head into the holiday weekend. Feels good to be a White Sox fan again. You know, Tony, there are a few things in this world that smell better than waking up the morning after a White Sox sweep at the Minnesota Twins and the Sox are in first place. It's just, it's a glorious, it lifts your spirits. It just, you have a little more pep in your step, especially knowing that it's a Friday going into a holiday weekend, knowing that we're going to celebrate America. And, uh, you know, and then you just get to follow that up, watching the Sox just put it out on the table there, the Detroit Tigers, and smack them in the face with it. I mean, what what's better than that? I don't think there is anything better than that, Steve. I, I, I really struggle to find anything better than that. Uh, Buzz and I were able to take in a game. That's the reason that we did not talk on Wednesday. We had the uh, the interesting uh, getaway day start yesterday uh, and some stuff going on with the with the rest of the crew. As you all know, if you're a frequenter of this show, Johnny Donnie's up in the uh, the North Woods of Wisconsin celebrating the holiday himself. So um, we're back here tonight. It's it's a great day. Uh, but uh, if we if we backtrack just a little bit, Buzz and I got to watch what was an offensive show from the White Sox on Wednesday night. Uh, the home runs that had been so infrequent showed up. Maybe it was Buzz and I getting back to the ballpark. Maybe it wasn't. Who knows? But I'm a man of superstition, Steve. And uh, I might not be superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. That when uh, when Buzz and I make it out to the ballpark, things seem to go well this year. Uh, so we'll give some credit to that. Uh, but Gavin Sheets providing some power in that game as well. 
And uh, before we go any further, I haven't had a chance to say this on the show yet, but uh, I'm a fan of guys who hit their first major league career home run when I'm in attendance. And the last time that that happened, at least to my knowledge, was Dion Vicieto. And you know I'm a big Dion Vicieto guy. I'm now a big Gavin Sheets guy. So, Steve, you're going to have to ride with it. Gavin Sheets might be my pick to click throughout the rest of the year as long as he's in the lineup. And I'm going to stay true to form because I'm a homer, just like Buzz, and I'm going to do that. But uh, let's talk a little bit about Gavin Sheets before we go any further. You know, I was a fan of Gavin Sheets going back to when he was drafted out of Wake Forest in the 2017 draft, um, kind of leading into that selection there, just watching some of the highlights and everything and kind of prepping for the, for the draft back when I actually paid attention to the draft a little bit because we didn't really have any reason to pay much attention to the major league team here at this point. Um Sheets was always a guy that that swing is just it's a combination of violent and pretty at the same time from the left side. And he's just a big hulking figure in the box. And he's just one of those guys that, you know, you, you when you play against somebody like him, you just look at that guy and you're like, man, that's just a big old donkey dick right there. And that guy is going to hit some bombs if you make a mistake out over the plate. And here through his first uh, couple of games in, in the big leagues, he's he's following that formula here and a wise man once said ball go far team go far what's happened here the last four nights the white Sox have started to hit the ball out of the ballpark what has the end result been victories baby and victory beers taste better than misery beers that's a proven scientific fact they've done studies it's a proven scientific fact that victory beers taste better than misery beers, and we've been drinking victory beers. Now, the White Sox have been chasing that left-handed power bat in their lineup for so long, Steve. I feel like that's been, you know, like my my entire lifetime, and you've seen it with Jim Tomei, you've seen it with Adam Dunn, you've seen it with just everybody that they've tried to bring in. You finally draft one, and you see him at the plate. And he just, he looks like a baseball player, Steve. He looks like a guy that can mash. And, and I guarantee you, the pitchers will adjust in this league. Gavin Sheets will not be a, a monster, so to speak, throughout the remainder of this year. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be times where people are going to be calling for his head. But so far, early on, just the eye test, he's passed it. He's passed the eye test of a guy that can come in. And I think that today was really the culmination of the eye test when he takes that pitch out. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But Gavin Sheets has been such a solid addition to this ball club. And I know that we've talked about the team going out and making additions uh, at the trade deadline and what they need to do. And that Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger, another name that we're going to get into here in just a few minutes, uh, can't be just it. What a welcome addition to the lineup Gavin Sheets has been. Uh, any other comments on this? Because I want to roll through the rest of this twin series and get into tonight's ball game. It, it really is a tremendous positive for a team that has been as snake bitten by the injury bug as the White Sox have been this year to be in a position where they've brought guys up and they've given guys opportunities in their first go round in the major leagues. We saw that with your mean Mercedes during the month of April. Um, you know, we've seen that with, you know, Brian Goodwin giving him another opportunity here, Billy Hamilton kind of being reborn a little bit. And now you look at what we're seeing here with Gavin sheets, these first, uh, these first three games um, or, four, or four games that he's been in the, in the lineup 
this is what you have to do when you have the types of injuries that they've sustained uh, throughout the course of this season to three starters and three significant starters in Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, and uh, Nikki Slaps. You need guys that you weren't necessarily counting on to come in and step up, whether it's for an extended period of time or even for a short burst. You know, maybe Gavin Sheets, you know, gives you only two weeks worth of quality at bats leading into the all-star break here. And then, you know, advanced scouts get out there and then they start making the adjustments on him and he starts to taper off a little bit. That's okay. If if they're able to ride that two weeks and get some solid production out of him continue winning ball games. I mean, look, the White Sox have a six game lead right now. They're five up in the loss column on the Cleveland Indians who lost again today. You hate to see that. You really do. Um, and so if you can get a guy like Gavin Sheets coming in there, giving you positive contribution, that's how you win a division. That's how you win 90 plus games. And that's how you put yourself in a position to compete, to win the American league pennant. Hey, this is the same thing. Rick Hans playing some fantasy baseball right now. That, that, that's what I look at this as, Steve. And if, if you want to compare it to, to anything else, I feel like the White Sox, Rick Hahn, has been playing some fantasy baseball. Ride the hot hands on your roster and just get the job done. The, the, you might be dealing with your friend who's a giant asshole and wants something ridiculous for Eduardo Escobar. But okay, you got a few guys stashed down in your minor leagues or on the waiver wire. You're going to go pick them up. Look at what Goodwin's done. He's gotten incredibly lucky. But you know what? At the end of the day, Steve, flags fly forever. And, and that's something that I'm a, a firm believer in is that flags fly forever. And so far, this White Sox team has been able to weather any storm that's been presented to them. And that's something different from any other team that we've seen in the last 10 years. We can have our gripes, and we will on this show. I, I think you, Johnny, Buzz, and myself will all – pile it on when when the time is due to pile it on we did last week but um you know and, and maybe this is a little bit uh plays to the narrative of those who say when the white Sox are in the al central that they can beat the shit out of anybody but when they get out of it um they may have some problems but as we say it all starts with taking care of business in your own division uh this this is what we wanted to see you're going to play a majority of games against these teams this is where you can pile it up, and like you said, be a 90-plus win team. Um, and, and I enjoy watching the White Sox beat the shit out of the people and the teams that they play the most because that's where, like you said, and like Johnny said, that's where it starts and that's where it ends, at least to get yourself into the dance. And they've done that thus far this year. They did it a bit last year. Things are good. For 10 years now. Or, or excuse me, for the 10 years leading up to last season, we saw the Sox consistently be dominated by Minnesota, by Detroit, by Cleveland, by Kansas City, all at varying times. To see the tables kind of turn here a little bit, now I know they're still kind of playing about 500 ball or, or a little bit under 500 ball this year against Cleveland. But you look at you know going back to 2019, the role reversal here of the Sox really – beating the shit out of Detroit. That's a welcome sight because remember 2010, 2011, 2012, when, when the Sox were trying to compete, Detroit was the team that was coming to 35th and Shields and causing a problem and preventing this team from winning a division title. I, I will never, ever forget, and I will never heal from what happened during that 2012 season. I will never, ever get over that. But 
the best way to get through that now is to beat the shit out of these assholes now. Kick them while they're down. Make them suffer. And they're doing that right now. They were 9-1 and one against them last year. They're like 9-2 and two against them this year. You look at the struggles that they had against Minnesota for such a long period of time. They're, they've won 11 of their last 12 against the Twins. When was the last time we could say that? I don't even remember the last time you can say that, Steve. It's it's incredible the way that they've handled the AL Central. And you know what? For as much shit that we give Rick Hahn or Jerry or anybody else, the White Sox have built a team that can compete against the AL Central. And this isn't even, as I started the show, this is like the Charlotte Knights versus the AL Central right now. And they've performed beautifully. Outside of the starting pitching staff, which – knock on wood so far has been healthy. The rest of the lineup's been just wow. And, and as we enter this Detroit series, you go down um, and, and Yohan Makata gets injured in yesterday's ball game, trying to slide into third base. He he, he stays in the game for, uh, for a minute and uh, is able to score a run and then is replaced defensively the next inning. Um, and Yohan Makata you know, it just feels like, Steve, we're we're up against such a wall where it's like if one more player gets hurt, I don't know if this team's ever going to win another ball game for the rest of the season. That's how it feels because, I mean, you just look at the injury list and it's been, it's, it's been worse than any year that I can remember. Worse than, than any year that I can remember in White Sox baseball. The amount of injuries this team has, has sustained. And Yohan Moncada goes down yesterday. We get the Jake Berger call up, which is it, it just it feels like we're living in a in, in some sort of simulation storybook right here. Jake Berger gets called up today. Yerman Mercedes sent down, and that's a topic that we need to discuss. So Berger comes up, you've already got sheets up, and it feels like Man, we're just we're grasping at straws here to just stay alive. And then today, during today's ball game, Yasmani Grandal leaves. How many more injuries can this team sustain, Steve? Or does it even matter at this point? Because right now it looks like going into this year, the only players on the roster, as as, as this moment that should be in the starting lineup, are really Jose Abreu. And Tim Anderson, and then fill in the blank. That that's what it feels like to me. I think it's really the sign of a good baseball team for so long. Whatever the Sox would have any injury that would happen. Remember in, in 2016, 23 and 10, hashtag never forget. And then Austin Jackson goes down. And that seemed like the turning point in that season when he got hurt and J.B. Shuck was thrust into everyday duties in center field. It seemed like it all just went to hell. Then he had that disastrous Saturday afternoon in Kansas City, um, and, and it was just uh, it was a nightmare from there. And then he had the Chris Sale incident, and, and the whole thing just completely went off the rails. So to see a team this year be able to overcome – all the significant injuries that they have to this point. And it's like, like you said, Tony, it's seemingly somebody new almost every day getting hurt and they're finding a way to persevere. They're finding a way to just plug next man up into this equation and they're still winning ball games. 
there's a lot to be said for that. And most good teams that win the World Series, because obviously that's that's the ultimate goal here. Most teams that win the World Series have to face some sort of adversity during the course of that seven month grind. Except if, you know if you're unless you're the 2018 Red Sox and and you just you know run over everybody from from start to finish. Even the 05 Sox they had their they had their bad stretch in August, so it happens. This is the type of thing that can really set this team up if they start to get guys like Eloy and Luis Robert back, and if they make some some acquisitions at the deadline. Rick Hahn, if you're listening, please, by all means, make some acquisitions here. Fortify this roster. Um, I know you're probably listening, too. Um, this is the type of thing that can bring a team together and know that we went through a lot to get to this point, to win this division. And now you get us into October, and now we've faced the adversity already. We know we've got enough talent. We've got enough juice on this squad to overcome it. Let's go get it done. Let's go get those 11. As Ozzy would say, we, can we win another 11? Yeah, they can. So it's just it, the the tenacity of this team and their ability to keep overcoming these injuries, I think says a lot about who they are as a group collectively. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you, Steve. And I think that that's what uh, – that's what just makes me happy to be a White Sox fan right now is the fact that this team is able to overcome it. Let's get into today's ball game. Uh, White Sox win by a final score of eight to two over the Detroit Tigers. They uh, they jump out to an early lead, two to nothing uh, in the first. Uh, Steve, what are your thoughts on this team and this roster jumping out to an early lead against an opponent? Because when the White Sox have been struggling. You don't see those early leads. You give Lance Lynn a two nothing lead to start the ball game. How important is that? It's huge. And Stephen Stone talks about this all the time. Tim Anderson is the table setter. He's the guy that makes things go. So he gets that infield single to start the game off, and then he ends up coming around to score on on the Yaz Money Grandal RBI single. And he talks about this. Almost on a nightly basis, when Tim Anderson gets on base and scores runs, this team wins. That's It's a very simple formula. And if they're able to get out in front of you early on, with the way that this starting pitching staff has performed, and Lance Lynn didn't have his quality top-shelf stuff tonight, and he just got through on, like a, like what I was talking about during our text you know, strain there, guts and nuts. That's, that's all Lance Lynn was tonight. And so you go out there and you give that guy a lead. Early on in this game, he's just going to come right at you, and I like your chances. No, I, I love that, Steve, and that, that just speaks to how important Yasmani Grandal is in this lineup. And obviously, uh, as we go further through this game, Yasmani Grandal was pulled. I think the official word was calf tightness. Um, you know, it, we, we don't know exactly at this exact moment uh, what type of injury this is. Um, I, I kind of just took a quick glance at Twitter and I have not seen anything or at least wasn't able to discover anything, uh, new, uh, on Yasmani Grandal, but, uh, we have to report the news. And that is that Sebi Zavala was pulled in the middle of the game, uh, down in Charlotte tonight, Steve. Um, this would be a huge loss for this White Sox lineup. Yasmani Grandal has been swinging um, a very, very, very hot bat of late. And obviously we know Yasmani Grandal also gets on base for this White Sox team. Um, he is as important as anyone in the lineup. Uh, 
Johnny Nani uh, is a huge Yasmani Grandal guy. I am as well. I think you are. I think Buzz likes Yasmani Grandal. We all love Yasmani Grandal on this show. The calf tightness is a little bit scary to me, Steve, because he was dealing with stuff earlier on this year, and those types of things can be somewhat nagging. So uh, thoughts on Yasmani Grandal and if there is an extended absence for him before we finish out this game. You know, I guess the one way to look at it is with the way the schedule lines up here, um, you've obviously you've got these two remaining games in Detroit, then you get the three in Minnesota off day and then three in Baltimore. So you've got eight games here before you get to that all-star break. Um, if he does have to get placed on the IL, which if they pulled Sebi Zavala down in Charlotte, it leads you to think that that might be what they're going to do. Um, unless that was just something that they did as an extra form of caution until they got some kind of test results on, on Yaz, on his calf to see how he was going to feel. Um, this, I guess, would be the time to do it, to give him, you know, two weeks to get rested up until, um, you know, they come home for that first series after the all-star break against the Houston Astros. Um, so, if it was going to happen, I guess this would be the ideal time for it to happen, just given the schedule. But you're right. Losing him right now would definitely hurt this lineup. He's been their best, most consistent, and most impactful offensive player for the last month now. So you take that guy out of the equation here, and, and then all of a sudden you're looking at Zach Collins behind the plate every day, and then you bring Sebi Zavala up. Um, that's a lot of offensive production to lose right there. And then that's also – some some struggles on the defensive side of it, especially if you're giving Collins everyday appearances behind the plate there because his his catching ability still is not where you want it to be from an everyday guy. Like we got to be real about this. Um, so losing him would definitely be very detrimental here going forward. I agree, Steve. Uh, I don't have much else to add to what you just said. Um, we'll go into the fifth inning of this game. Uh, the Tigers are able to plate one on a Jonathan scope, uh, sacrifice fly. Uh, and then, uh, we go into the seventh inning. The Sox are able to add another run on a Danny Mendick sack fly. Um, at this point, you're feeling pretty all right. You're up three to one. Uh, but let's fast forward a bit to the ninth inning. Um, the white Sox are able to get five runs across to really put the, uh, the knife, into the Detroit Tigers here. And most of the damage uh, comes off of the the uh, the Gavin Sheets home run there. Um, the White Sox, they had two home runs in the ninth inning. You had an, an Andrew Vaughn homer, and you also had the Gavin Sheets home run. Uh, just getting power. I think that that's something that you talked about earlier in this game. Ball go far, team go far. Uh it wasn't ex exactly a clean bottom of the ninth for the White Sox. How important are those insurance runs, Steve? They're huge. You know, you go from a, a scenario where it's a three-to-one game, you're having to warm your closer up and, and being in a high-leverage situation to putting some significant distance between you and the opposition. And you touched on it, on it very briefly, the Andrew Vaughn home run. He also had a double in this game. One thing that is really catching my eye here this week with uh, with this four or excuse me this five game winning streak that they're on now is the 
performance of Andrew Vaughn against right-handed pitching. You know, if you look at his overall stat line on the year coming into tonight, he was, you know, just a, a shade below league average um, from, a, from a weighted runs created plus standpoint. And most of that damage has been done against southpaws. You know, he's been below average against righties overall. In the last week here, the quality of the at-bats against right-handed pitching has greatly improved. Obviously, very small sample size here. We're looking at he's being more impactful, getting extra base hits. He's had a couple of doubles sprinkled in there, mixes in a home run here tonight. This is a guy that, again, I've talked about this a lot. It's not his fault. I don't blame him for this because he wasn't afforded the opportunity to face double-A pitching wasn't afforded the opportunity to face AAA pitching because of the pandemic last year. He was thrust directly into the major league. So there was going to be a learning curve here. He's starting to figure it out. And as he continues to progress here, the quality of the bats are only going to get better. This guy's going to be a real problem for American league pitchers here. Once one, he gets this thing figured out. <laughs> one thing that I've noticed about Andrew Vaughn versus everybody else that the White Sox have brought up is he does not swing at the slider or the junk that goes outside of the zone. And he gives himself that opportunity to wait for that pitch in the zone. And Andrew Vaughn really hasn't been touted the way that uh, Yohan Moncada or even um, Zach Collins has been as a patient hitter. Would you agree, Steve? Um. I, I think I would agree to to an extent. I, I think he definitely is a guy that was talked about as having a very advanced plate approach, and that has actually been on display for a good portion of the year. Obviously, there have been times where he has been overmatched. Um, Shane Bieber has kind of abused him. Shane uh, Bieber abuses uh, everybody. Right, right. Equal right, opportunity. Right. You know, hundred percent. Shane Bieber. So, so you know, Vaughn's going to go through those instances where, again, just his lack of experience and the fact that he has never seen stuff as explosive as what he is seeing here at the major league level, it will kind of catch up to him and he'll have a, a seven to 10 day stretch where things don't look great. And, and people will, you know, kind of be up in arms about it a little bit, but by and large, I don't know how you can't feel good about what you're seeing from this guy and just the overall approach that this guy has. And he seems to have a plan when he gets into the batter's box. And that was something that was pretty apparent from the outset of this season. Even though the results weren't great, especially early on here, you could see he had an idea of what he was trying to do. It's just a matter of I've never seen shit this explosive before. And I got I to gotta kind of adapt to that a little bit. And we're starting to see that happen now. No, very impressive, very, very impressive stuff. And I don't think that uh, we've really given the justice that's due to Andrew Vaughn for his ability to just kind of feast on some stuff within major league pitching that you would not expect from somebody who was thrust into the situation that he has. Because earlier on today I said there's two guys in the lineup right now if you include the Osmani Grandal injury that should be here, and that's Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu. And the third guy, if you want to put somebody on the fringe, Steve, I feel like it's Andrew Vaughn. Outside of everybody else that's in the lineup, if you go Zach Collins, third base, you don't have Moncada, you got Jake Berger. You go to second base, you got Danny Mendick, not your preferred option. Right field, even if you have Adam Eaton out there, like you could probably make some arguments uh, you know, Gavin, you've, you've seen a rotation out there. Center field, Billy Hamilton, I think, is the guy that I would prefer. But you're even down Adam Engel right now. 
you, you just go across this whole entire thing in left field. Andrew Vaughn is probably that third guy where you're like, I'm comfortable with him out there. And it's impressive to even think that as a White Sox fan, that Andrew Vaughn, if you told me this in spring training, that Andrew Vaughn is going to be like the third guy in the lineup that you're most comfortable with on July 3rd, I would, I would probably like jump off the bridge on 355 there's no way that you would think that this team is in first place. And yet Andrew Vaughn just looks, he, he, he looks like a major leader right now. And that's, that's so fucking incredible for this team and his importance this year cannot be understated. I agree 100%. And going back to the one thing I touched on earlier, when you see some of the guys step in, like your mean Mercedes early on, you know, like Jay Clam. Um, oh, Jay Clam. Shout out White Sox Sal. I know he was in here earlier. What but, up, Sal? Uh, Jay Clam. Hey, Sal, I got this one on just for you, baby. So, you know, you, you've seen some of those guys step up, and it has allowed Vaughn and some of his early struggles here at the major league level to be kind of camouflaged a little bit and put him in a position where he doesn't have to do or be responsible for a high level of production while he gets acclimated to the major league level. Now, as he's getting a better sense as far as how pitchers are trying to approach him, what teams are trying to do to him on a game to game series to series basis, you're allowing him to have that talent kind of show through and that natural ability that he has. And I've taken a little bit of flack from this, but one of the things that I I've always kind of thought was that it wouldn't surprise me if when this thing is all said and done, if Andrew Vaughn is the most complete hitter on the White Sox in like 2024, 2025. I wouldn't doubt it. I, I think that if there was a futures bet to place on that, Steve, I would probably lay some money down on it. Um, but you know what? You know, one thing that I want to talk about as the White Sox finish this ball game eight to two, I know we just talked about the ninth. Um, the Tigers were able to plate one across in the bottom of the ninth. Matt Foster. Uh, had some 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 issues uh, there, but I, I don't think that there's uh, I, don't, I don't think we really have too many gripes about that. But it, it, a lot it of soft tough. contact. Yeah, there was a lot of soft contact. A lot of Kansas City specials in Detroit. But is Tony Larusa like the candidate for manager of the year yet at this point in time with the White Sox injuries? I think that that's a topic that we need to talk about at this point because you're getting a lot out of a lot of guys that you would not expect here. I mean, you look at, uh, you look at Goodwin, you look at uh, what you've seen out of Andrew Vaughn so far. You, you, you got an amazing April out of Herman Mercedes. You got Gavin Sheets, Jake Berger up right now. You look at the lineup. I know we haven't talked about the pitching. They've made it easy for him, but this lineup so far, the lineup construction, the roster construction has been, I think arguably less than ideal and you're sitting atop of the AL Central, you've had bouts of being the best team in baseball and the American League so far. Early talk, I know we haven't even hit the all-star break yet, but Tony La Russa, is he the manager of the year? I think it has to be between him or Alex Cora in Boston. Um, Cora obviously coming off of the suspension, and 
just looking at how dreadful that Red Sox team was last season and to see them in first place in the AL East. And obviously the East Coast bias does definitely factor into this. And the fact that um, that that division simply is a more competitive division. So I think a lot of the national writers will probably give some more leeway to Alex Cora. Um, but I, it, those two guys, I think, have to be the leaders in the clubhouse at this point here as we are pretty much at the halfway point in the, in the season. Um, I know there's obviously a lot of people that will look to discount Tony La Russa just you know, because of, of a number of different factors. And I've been vocal about some displeasure with La Russa on some tactical decisions and some things that he has done at times during the course of the season here. But you can't – you can't underestimate um, his importance in terms of dealing with adversity and crisis management. Obviously for a guy that's been in a major league dugout for as long as he has, he's seen a lot of different shit and all the injuries that have taken place this year and the way that he has been able to utilize this roster and be able to maximize the pieces that he's had on a day-to-day basis that can't be ignored. No, I, I don't think it can like at this point, um, I think earlier on in the season, there was a lot of displeasure with some of the things that uh, have gone on around him and off the field stuff. But I, I just don't know if the White Sox would be in this position with Rick Renteria right now. I, I just, I, I can't say that comfortably. I, I know that there's no way of telling how that would be. But uh, you've seen this team rally around a certain number of different things around Tony Rusa and some some management decisions that have been made. And and yes, there are some tactical things that I think that uh, he's lacked. I, I I think there were two challenges during this game that I even questioned uh, whether or not they should have been um, you know brought up to put the Sox in a better position to win. However. Um, you know, just just some of the some of the way that the, some of the ways that I've seen the guys play or just attack different things, um, and some of the way that uh, you know a lot of people will come out and say this lineup isn't going to hit, and Jake Lamb is, is one of those guys where it just it it just seems like guys are in the right positions to do the right things at the right times, and as a fan, you can armchair you can armchair coach a game. But it just it it feels to me like there's been times during this entire season where if I were the coach, I would have done something differently. And the right guy was in the right place at the right time. And I say, okay, that's that's exactly why I'm not paid a couple million dollars a year to manage a baseball team. You know, one of the things that I I feel gets discounted a little bit when talking about managers and just talking about the game in general right now is having a feel for your roster and having a feel for the personnel that you have on on a given day. Um, I think I think what we've seen with this group so far is that you know, like him or dislike him, I feel like he Tony does have a good feel for what this team is on a given day and knowing when to plug certain guys into a lot of different spots. I've been very critical of the fact that I think that he um, doesn't take the number two spot in the order as seriously as he should when it comes to from a lineup standpoint, but it's like every time I kind of make that argument or, or get upset about it, 
like Jake Lamb will have a, a three for four day with with exactly a or, or Brian or Brian Goodwin will will do what he does. Um, you know that first series in in Detroit a, a month ago. So again, I think that's where the feel aspect comes into it. And, you know, there's definitely there's going to be times where he's going to have the wrong feel on it. And a lot of people are going to jump on him for that. But at the same time, if you're going to play that game, you have to do it the other way, too. And when he does make a decision based on feel and it works out like putting Gavin Sheets in the two spot, I thought that was pretty aggressive today. Um, I'm not going to say I was like up in arms about it, but I just thought, OK, that's that's a, that's a bold, aggressive move right there. And look what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 based on guts and based on instinct. And and you're right. There's there's some intangible stuff. I think that's where you're going with. There's some intangible stuff that the 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 guys like us who are 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 even as tuned into the team as we are aren't going to know how these guys walk into the clubhouse. They're humans too. I feel like Tony LaRusso has done an excellent job of evaluating that, putting guys in positions to succeed. And, and, you know, that's the factor that you're not going to get out of, uh, you know, the athletic, or you're not going to get that out of Chuck Garfine. You're not going to get that out of anybody. You know, how is this guy feeling when he walks into the clubhouse today? He might have he might have seen Gavin Sheets walk into the clubhouse and just known, you know, like he he's got a good chance of hitting a home run today. He's confident. He's got his he's got his head on his shoulders the right way. You know, he woke up good. He looked good in BP. There's a lot of things that we don't see, and I try and remember that when I you know go to Twitter. And I think all of us make an attempt to What's look at Twitter. That. Yeah, you're not on Twitter anymore, Steve. So I'm not. I apologize. R.I.P. and P. Um, but you know, like I, I try and think about those things when I see the lineup come out. But that might not always be the first thing that comes into my mind. You look at the lineup and you go, "Well, here's how I would have done it," and that's very armchair coach or armchair GM uh, ask for anybody to do. But for the most part, by and large, Steve. Tony LaRusso's had an excellent feel for this team, and that's why I asked that question. Is he on the short list for manager of the year? And I would say he absolutely is. Yeah, 100%. Like I said earlier, I think it's as of right now here on July 2nd, I think it's him and Alex Cora. Um, you know, some people might want to say Kevin Cash down, down in Tampa, but this is a guy that, you know, has a team that, is the reigning American League champions. You know, Bob Melvin is always, you know, one of the top uh, managers in the league. He's always got the A's in a good position to be successful. Uh, maybe the other name that that uh, possibly you could throw in that mix is Dusty Baker down in Houston, given uh, what the Astros have done at this I point. I was going to say Dusty Baker, too, yeah. as well here. And I don't want to, but... Yeah, I mean, that just, that just kind of is what it is at, at this point. And I, I think that is kind of fascinating if you go and if you look at just the dynamics between Tony and Dusty. Um, those are two very old school guys. Um, obviously, Dusty down in Houston with a very analytically and data savvy organization there. So um, how much of that influence is, is kind of guiding some of the decisions he's making right now. It's a little, it's a little hard to tell, but you know, he, he talked about last year when he came back into the dugout that he was going to also incorporate his feel into the, into the mix with things. And obviously we're seeing that with Tony this year. So it's been, it's been fascinating to watch that here through the first half of the season. 
Hey, before we go any farther, credit to Dusty Baker for uh, giving up the toothpick in favor of the mask. Um, let's get into tomorrow. Dallas Keuchel is going to take on uh, Tarek Skubal. Uh, Keuchel coming in 6-2, 3.96 ERA, 53 strikeouts on the year. Skubal 4-7, 4.06 ERA, 94 strikeouts. Uh, Skubal can miss some bats. That's not Dallas Keuchel's game, Steve. Uh, but we have seen some positive results. It, it's kind of surprising t- to look at Dallas Keuchel's game so far and say that he's 6-2 and two with the sub-4 ERA. Um, what are you thinking coming into this one, Steve? Dallas has to go out there. He's got to establish that cutter early and often against the, against the right-handed bats in, in the Detroit Tigers lineup. That's what this is all about, particularly got to attack – Robbie Grossman and uh, Jonathan Scope. Those are going to be the two guys at the very top of the order. You control and you neutralize those guys there. You can really keep this Tigers offense at bay because there simply is not a ton of firepower there at this point. So get ahead of them early and often. Pound the inner third of the strike zone with that cutter and good things are going to happen. So my my key to this one is don't pitch to Jonathan Scope if you're Dallas Keuchel. He's hitting lifetime 462 and 13 at bats against Dallas Keuchel with two home runs. Uh, he's driven in three on that. Uh, but just don't pick pitch to Jonathan Scope, and I think he's he's gonna do fairly well against this lineup. I know they've seen him a little bit, uh, but he's done well against Miguel Cabrera. He's done well against Robbie Grossman. He's done well against Nomar Mazzara. Nomar Mazzara actually has 31 at-bats against Dallas Keuchel, and Dallas Keuchel's been able to uh, to keep him at bay. That might not be that hard. Um, but if there's anybody in this lineup that can do some damage just career-wise to Dallas Keuchel, it's Jonathan Scope. And I think Jonathan Scope can do some damage against a lot of AL Central pitching and I think that that goes back to some things that you said on Sunday Fun Day about guys that you would acquire. Um, Jonathan Scope is is definitely a target for the White Sox. But overall, Steve, I think this is another very winnable ball game for the White Sox. Um, and if I'm uh, if I'm a betting man, I'm I'm laying money against anybody else in the AL Central that the White Sox face at this point in time. I'm taking a White Sox winner tomorrow. Hundred percent. You've got the better team. Go out there, kick them in the nuts, kick them when they're down, get another dub. Let's make this thing six in a row, baby. Hey, winning streaks are cool and tough. They really Win- are. Winning streaks are cool and tough. It's better to do this show when we're winning than when we're losing. I think you can agree to that. I think any any host on the show will agree to that. But before we go any farther and close this down, we're going to need a pick to click. I already know who mine is. And I think you already know who it is, too. But I need to hear yours. All right. So let's see. We got a lefty on the mound tomorrow. You know what? I think it's going to happen tomorrow. I think Timmy's going to break out of his little funk. I think Timmy is finding the left field bleachers on the first pitch of this game tomorrow. He's going to jump Tarek Skubal right out the chute. Socks me up one nothing on the first pitch. I love it, Steve. I absolutely love it because, you know, Timmy's the straw that stirs the drink. But I've, I've had Gavin Sheets since he came up, and I'm staying Gavin Sheets. I'm riding that because Gavin Sheets is my guy. Might be the first jersey that I buy of any player 
with a last name on the White Sox. I've never had a White Sox jersey with a last name on it. Gavin Sheets continues to mash. He might be my guy because the only other jersey I would have bought was Dion Vicieto. As I told friend of the show, Sean, Sean Roberts, before this game today, I'm, I, I've, I've, I've really had problems buying jerseys of, of players. In fact, one of the only player jerseys I have, Steve, is Marion Hosa from the Blackhawks because I knew he was going to be on the team for a long time. I'm a firm believer that sports – I'd say that worked out pretty well. Sports are a business, and yes, I've got two Marion Hosa jerseys. I don't have any any other jersey in my lifetime of any other player. Marion Hosa was my favorite player before he came to the Hawks, and yes, that, that investment worked out well. But Gavin Sheets is the first player besides Dion Vicieto that I've seen hit his first major league career home run. He looks like a monster. I love Gavin Sheets. I'm sticking with Gavin Sheets until they either send him down or he starts chasing a slider far too much for my liking. So Gavin Sheets is my guy tomorrow. I'm going to have to put this out there. Um, you know, when he had his first start in that game Tuesday night, I was in attendance for that one. I ran my uh, my personal record up to 17-3 and three on the season, not to brag or anything. I know you're all very impressed. Humble brag. Yeah, yeah, you know, humble. It, it happens. It's part of life. Um, but I happened to take Gavin Sheets as my pick to click that night. So I like to think that I set the tone. I got him off on the right foot. And he is just looking to carry that forward here. And he's looking to make me proud. And, hey, Ron, yeah, it is a little bit of a humble brag. But, listen, it, it ain't humble if you back it up. No, it's not humble if you if you, if you, if you back it up. Uh, Ron Luce, Southside Ron in, in the house right now. Love seeing Ron tune into the show. But, Steve, Gavin Sheets, and I titled the episode Holy Sheets because he has been – so impressive so far in his in his White Sox career. He's my guy. Johnny's not here, so I get to title the episodes. Gavin Sheets, this one's for you, buddy. Drink it in, baby. Drink it in. Because I love, I love seeing a just thunderous, majestic left-handed power swing. And that home run he hit in that ninth inning, as soon as that thing came off the bat, I mean, it was just, who got, got all warm and fuzzy inside and everything. And just, uh, man, that, that just, sweet, sweet dreams of Gavin Sheets. And, and, and you have to think about it too. That baseball had a family, but it, it, it died doing what it loved. Yes, it did. Just smack the cover off the ball. Gavin Sheets looks like a baseball player. He is a baseball player, and he will continue to mash home runs to my enjoyment. And even if he winds up in Japan someday winning me money for the Chinichai Dragons, just like Dion Vicieto, I don't care. I think he, he will, I think, be, my, I think he will he, be my favorite player for a while. I feel like if he, if that is his eventual route that he has to go, I feel like he's going to be a Chiba Lote Marines guy. Now you're killing me. Now you're killing me. But, all right, so we're on the Gavin Sheets talk. And uh, just need to, you know, you know, compare him to Diane Vicieto for just two seconds. Would Diane Vicieto be helping this team right now? If they can no. like find a way to get him off the off the Chunichai Dragons. I know you're not the right right person to talk to about this, but come on now. I feel, like, I feel with like all it, the injuries, get get Diane Vicieto back here. My meatball take of the day 
is that the White Sox need to find a way to bring him back here to enjoy a World Series celebration. I feel like there's two people in this world that are clamoring for Diane Vicieto. You and Twins and uh, Twins fan Ken. I don't know Twins fan Ken. Oh, you know Twins fan Ken. I know who Twins fan Ken is, but I don't know who Twins fan Ken is, just for all intents and purposes. But you know what, Steve? At the tailgate last Saturday, just a week ago, I did get to introduce myself to Ken, and he said, who the fuck are you? And now, as 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 column A stan, Tony Marchese here, I feel very disrespected, Steve. I feel very disrespected. I haven't had a chance to talk to you personally about this. How could how could Twins fan Ken not know cocktails are for closers? I mean, cocktails for guys with like five and a half ERAs this year. I know that much. No, he's not cocking his hat anymore. No. I actually tweeted that out. If you were on Twitter, you would know when Buzz and I went to the game the other day. Alex Calame came in with the straightest hat I've ever seen. And I took a picture of it, and I said, he's not even cocking his head anymore because he knows he's not a closer. Hate to see it. You hate but, to see but, it. But, 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 but let, me, let me say this, and I, I talked about this um, in an earlier episode this year. I can't remember if it was with Johnny or with Buzz. Um, I'm actually – I'm a big column a guy now because he's going to the Twins, and um, he's really shit himself over there really helped to cost the twins some ball games. So there's part of me that's wondering, was it an inside job? It could have been an inside job. And this is White Sox tinfoil hat takes on Sox yeah. on tap. Steve, it's awesome talking about White Sox winners with you. I don't have much else. Do you have any final thoughts for the night? Detroit Sox. Let's get number six tomorrow. Let's go. Six game winning streaks are cool and tough. Um, we'll see what happens with Yasmani Grandal. And if you need that news, you can head to ontapsportsnet.com to get it. Uh, this show is presented by Grandstand. Grandstand is the number one place to go get all of your White Sox gear. That's Steve's favorite place to shop in the universe. Um, Steve, it's always a pleasure talking about White Sox winners with you. As I like to say, crack them, enjoy a beer, a victory beer, on a Friday night, this is another White Sox winner that we got to talk about. Sox beat Detroit. Detroit sucks. White Sox forever. White Sox for life.